The following podcast contains bad language. Not bad at language, like Trump's lawyers. Bad language, like naughty words. Cover your ears, I guess. Hello and welcome to episode 285 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. Uh, I thought it was a good show today, Ben. What do you think? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, I liked Kayla's personal statement and the questions we got. Yeah, we started with uh, a lengthy discussion of the new news that came from Law School Admission Council. Basically, the online version of the LSAT is here to stay and the dates are out. But we, we talked about all of the uh, news and impl- implications there. We had an email yep. from an international student who was asking whether they should retake uh, a 174. Yep. And surprisingly, our answer turned out to be yes, they should. Yeah. We doubled down on the presumption that if you haven't taken it five times, you need to tell us why not. Yeah. We had an email from a listener who thought that they were too old to go to law school and uh, turned out that we thought they were wrong about that, huh? Yep. I mean, what it kind of turned out that we thought that they might be just kind of too naive about the whole thing and that they were rushing into it and that they could make a much better decision. So I'm glad we got to, to that discussion. Uh, we had a note from a, a demon student who had all kinds of admission success, even in this crazy cycle. We're talking about um, multiple full ride offers. So it was nice to uh, get an update with some good news. We had an excuse of the week from a student who was complaining that they didn't know what certain words meant. Uh, we had a lengthy discussion about different categories of not knowing what a word meant. Hopefully that was useful and not too mean. I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, we ended with uh, Kayla's personal statement, which had a lot of great facts in there. Um, but uh, far too many conclusions that needed to be cut out. So hopefully that's an example of what can be good and what can be bad um, in a in a personal statement. I think there was a lot of potential there. Yeah. But there's stuff she needs to cut and there's stuff she needs to go deeper on. Um, this show will air on Monday, February 22nd. That means you have uh, two days if you hear this on release day, you have two days to sign up for the April uh, LSAT flex. The deadline for that is Wednesday, February 24th. So you better get on it if you want to sign up for that test, uh, which will happen during the week of April 10th. So Ben, big announcement yesterday from LSAC. Uh, I noticed the internet was totally blowing up about it. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of news there, but you want to take us through the big bullet points? Yeah. So item number one, they released the dates all the way through, what, June 2022, um, which is great. (laughs) So people can now know when the test will be administered. The test is going to be online indefinitely, as far as we can tell. Yeah, that matches what we predicted. I mean... They're acknowledging that they might also offer in-person tests at some of these administrations. Yep. But they're, they're, they're saying that everybody has basically said, yes, we like it better online. So we're going to continue to offer it online, which 
I mean, no shit. It's just better online. Yeah, I was thinking about this actually when this came out, and I was like, "There's there has to have been like an internal argument going on, right? You had the let's move slowly and cautiously group, and then you had the people who are like, what are we doing? Let's just go online. We can drop the whole, you know, uh, coordinating location space and all that garbage that was taking place. Well, it's, it's just like us going online with our LSAT classes fully, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. for years thought about, oh, should we start doing like a live online hybrid thing or should we create like live classes in Zoom? And it, we never, like the inertia just never gotten broken on the live in-person classes. Yeah, COVID just changed everything and we were forced to make a big move. Once we made that big move, we realized, oh shit, it's actually more effective to teach LSAT classes live online than it is to teach LSAT classes live in person, which in retrospect is a gigantic no shit. It's obviously better. It's obviously more efficient. We're all like adult, modern, professional people who can be responsible for their own, you know, selves. It's not like kindergartners. I can see why you need kindergartners in a live classroom, right? Yeah. Or even junior high kids. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, um, law school is for serious folks. And there's no reason why we can't teach serious folks LSAT in an online environment. It's more efficient in a thousand different ways. Uh, administering this test online is also more efficient in a thousand different ways. Although I was listening to a podcast last night while I was out on a walk. Did you know uh, Steve Dubner, you know, the Freakonomics guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a podcast that he does with Angela Duckworth. That's the uh, grit, grit author. Yep. Mm-hmm. They do a podcast together called No Stupid Questions. Okay. And one of the, <laughs> the topic, it was actually a title of the episode was, is everyone cheating these days? Hmm. And one of the first things they brought up was uh, a study that someone did at Proctor U. Oh, and I'm I'm gonna botch the exact numbers, but they're all in the pot in that podcast. If you want to go listen to it, but it was something like before COVID, Proctor U was detecting something like two percent hmm. cheaters, hmm. and after COVID, Proctor U is now catching like eight percent cheaters. Hmm. And what Angela Duckworth was saying was that. Her, her kid, who's a junior hire, was telling her that cheating is now rampant with online um, school, which yeah. is to be expected that the kids are going to cheat on their online tests. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently, yeah, Proctor U has seen this like huge uptick in cheating uh, that's happening all over the place. So I don't know what they're going to do to to get rid of the cheating problem, but I guess they've, you know, it's almost like they get to abdicate responsibility once again. They're just like, well, that's Proctor U's thing. We don't monitor the, you know, now they don't have to monitor the cheating. It's just like, well, that's a, we administer the test through Proctor U and Proctor U handles all that. So, well, we've talked about this so many times before too. Like this is yet another reason to go to computer adaptive. Like they just move at a glacier's pace. Right. So, and there's nothing about computer adaptive in this announcement at all. This is essentially what they're doing is they're keeping the flex except for they're dropping flex from the name. Yep. They're just calling it the LSAT now. Yep. They are calling it the LSAT flex up until whatever, some date later this year. Then they're calling it the LSAT again. Oh, I guess when they bring back the experimental section. Which right. Is what so talk about do. that. What's, what's yes. that going to be? Okay. So before COVID, 
the LSAT was in person. It was five sections. You had the four official sections, uh, which included two logical reasoning sections. And then you had an experimental section, which was any one of the three. You had no idea which section was the experimental section. They just did that to test questions before they were officially put into a test. And that's how they made sure that the questions are valid. Well, they haven't been doing that since COVID. And so they haven't had a chance to generate new questions. I mean, I'm sure they've been creating questions, but they can't test them for validity, right? Right. So they're bringing back the experimental section, which actually paves the way for them to have the online test become permanent, right? Because by bringing that back, now they can test questions and they can continue to generate new ones. Right. Um, and continue to release practice tests, which they haven't done now for a long stretch. Exactly. Unlike before. So before it was five sections. You had the four from the official test and then the one experimental section, wherever that showed up. Now they're going to have only four sections. They're going to have the three like they do with the flex, the logic games, the reading comp, and the logical reasoning. And then they're going to throw in an experimental section somewhere in there. It can be any of the three. Um, You'll know, obviously, that if you've got two logical reasoning sections or two games, then one of those must have been the experimental, but you won't know which one until you talk to others. And even then, I don't know how easy it will be to figure out in the new online environment. But regardless, you just treat them all as official sections. The break will be re- will be brought back. The break before was between the third and fourth sections for 15 minutes. Now they're going to bring it back between the second and third section, which makes sense. That's just halfway through the four section test. I'm guessing it will probably be something like 10 minutes uh, or maybe. Yeah, they're calling it a short break. I don't think they've told us exactly how long it is. Not that it really matters how long it is. They also did say that if you get, if you leave your desk on the break, then you have to redo the security check when you come back, Hmm. which as we've, as we've discussed before, might involve you like picking up your, iMac, you know, and to, to, to show the camera around the room or something like that. But they, they are going to have you, you know, that's the security measure to make sure that you're, you don't have somebody in the room or somebody feeding you the answer somehow. So is there any other news from this? I mean, not, not really. Oh, you know what? Matt Dumont pointed out that he thinks there were only eight tests in the cycle, not Mm. nine. He, he oh. was counting them up and, you know, they do oh, the yeah. weird May 31st start and stop. Um, yep. So they might have changed slightly the number of tests per cycle, but it's not like they ever guaranteed nine tests per cycle. We only had nine tests per cycle once or twice max, maybe once, I think, before COVID. Yeah. Right. So this is what they've been tweaking that all the, all the way along. And my response was like, well, even if they did reduce the number of tests by one, surely it's better for the test taker to have eight chances at it online than nine chances in person. Cause the in-person administration was a disaster and the online administration, you have all kinds of flexibility. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the in-person, it was like on one day. Yeah. But the flex, each one is like a whole week. Yep. So now it's like, Oh, your buddy's getting married. Okay. Yeah. But you could still take the LSAT that week. Yeah. You don't, it's not like that day is just gone. Right. Yeah. Seems like good news all around. I'm glad they're not just, you know, like 
hurrying to go back to the in-person thing. It does certainly seem like the online thing is here to stay. The one bit of news that they, you know, they never mentioned it even when they created the flex and nobody, nobody in the internet or in the uh, LSAT world seemed to really comment on it. We did, Mm. but nobody else really commented on it. They've changed the balance of the test semi permanently. I mean, it was forever. Logical reasoning was half the test. There were two scored sections of LR games was one quarter of the test. Yep. Reading comp was one quarter of the test. Yeah. So logical reasoning was by far the most important part of the test. Those other two sections were important, but LR was literally half the test. Yep. When the flex came around, they the way they did it was they just dropped the experimental section, which makes sense. But they also dropped the. I mean, if they're going for a shorter test to to be able to make the flex, dropping the experimental temporarily made sense. But they also just dropped one of the sections of LR. I I, I really don't understand that. What what's the need to make an online test shorter than the in person test? Our hypothesis at the time, and I don't I still haven't heard any better explanation, is just. Okay the cheating thing. They didn't want to have a break. They didn't want to have people getting up and leaving and coming back. Now they've got people getting up and leaving and coming back. Yeah. They've re they've reinstated the break. So if that was their concern, you're going to have it. Why not have a third section? (laughs) They, they have subtly. And it seems to me in violation of the lawsuit that they settled about getting rid of the logic. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, before COVID, the big news was like, hey, in four years, we have to eliminate the logic games because some blind guy sued us and said yep. that the logic games were unfair to, to blind people, which I'm sure they're just hoping that all goes away. Right. It's the classic COVID excuse. They're going to forget about it. Yeah. If anything gets oh, delayed COVID. that I buy now, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's delayed due to COVID. I'm like, really? What? what? <laughs> yeah. What does totally. COVID have anything to do with this? They're, but they're yeah. just using that excuse to probably push that can down the road. What? refrigerator repair oh yeah no we can't make it out for two weeks to look at that because you know covid Co- yeah wait huh <laughs> what <laughs> um right well so now the test has a different balance i mean yeah. reading comprehension which used to be 25 percent of the test is now 33 percent of the test mm-hmm Games, which used to be 25% of the test and was on its way to being 0% of the test, (laughs) is now 33% of the test. (laughs) It's like, like, fuck you to that guy. (laughs) I know. Sorry, (laughs) blind guy. Remember he said he was going to eventually pass the LSAT? That's what what his comment was, was once we get rid of the games, he would be able to pass the LSAT, which isn't (laughs) even a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. Hey, if you're a new listener, we are not mocking the blind, and we do... I totally believe in accommodations for blind people and all, and all of that. It's the absurd the outcome, thing right? is it's that, just... well, there's no reason why blind people can't do logic games. That's, yeah. I'm sorry, but that is ableist against blind people. Ironically, it was the blind guy who was, you know, suing for this ADA issue. It makes no sense whatsoever. If you talk to people who teach blind people, they're like, no, blind people would learn to solve that game in a different way. Yeah. Yes, sighted people would make a drawing. Blind people probably won't make a drawing, but blind people will have another way of solving the puzzle. <laughs> like they're what? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's now um 
that's now more important. Games are now more important. The scariest section of the test is now more important uh, than it used to be. And logical reasoning, which used to be half the test, and we agree, is the most lawyer-ish. Oh, by far. Part of the test. I mean, reading comp is too. Yeah, I, I, reading comp is key for law school. Can you get the big picture? Can you endure boring text to de- de- decipher it? But logical reasoning, I mean, that's the section where, you know, you take like some successful attorney who took the LSAT or maybe didn't even take the LSAT, but took the LSAT long ago and has no idea how to take the test now. It's been 20, 30 years. And you give them a logical reasoning section. If they're a good attorney, they ace that section. Yeah, not games, because see, games is a test of how hard you can work, right? Games is a test of like, can you read it, figure it out, practice, 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 practice those games and get good at them, Yeah, which testing how hard you can work, that's an important component of being a lawyer. So I'm glad the games exist. Yeah. But the LR is just so obviously like law school and also obviously like legal practice. Yeah. You know, what's the conclusion we're trying to reach? What are the facts that we have? Can we get from these facts to this outcome? That's what LR is about. And it used to be half the test and now it's only a third of the test. (laughs) (laughs) And they made this change in balance. You know, as much as they talk about validity and all this stuff, they do all this like science about the test, but then they just kind of arbitrarily, it seems, changed the balance of the test and didn't even comment on it. Yep. They Which probably don't wild, want to, right? It's easier to not defend it than to try to defend it. It raises, it brings attention to it. <laughs> and I'm not even picking on them. I do think that there was a simpler solution, right? I mean, we've said this on the show before too. They could have made reading comp. It was one section of reading comp with four passages. Three passages, yeah. They could, well, they could have made it one section with, they could have made it half as long, two passages. Mm-hmm. Games, there's four games. They could have made it half as long, two games and then drop one of the LR sections. Mm-hmm. You cut your test in exactly half in length. You don't change the balance of the test at all. It's weird because you go to, what is it? What's half a 35, 17 and a half minute sections, you know, for the games and for reading comp, but it's only two passages in two games. That seems okay. I don't yeah, know why or, you can't do that. Or make it 18 minutes and... Right. Pat everybody on the back and say, we're giving out extra time (laughs) like gangbusters anyway, so why don't everybody have an extra 30 seconds? (laughs) They do round up on people who get time and a half, right? Time and a half is 35 minutes, but but if you get time and a half, you don't get 35 plus 17 and a half. You get 35 plus 18 equals 53. If you get get time and a half, you actually get more than time and a half. Anyway. (laughs) All right. Um, They're doing the best they can, obviously. And hey, give them credit. They, in the middle of COVID, they switched to an online version of the LSAT pretty quickly. They had some growing pains with ProctorU. They continue to have occasional growing pains with ProctorU, but it's working. People are taking the test. It's happening. And they've decided it's better than the live proctored versions of the test, which it is, and they're sticking with it. So yeah. Uh, give them credit for all of that. And um, this is where we're at now for the foreseeable future. They, they've they announced test dates through June of 2022. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and they're all going to be administered online. The um, where does the okay? So the variable section, the uh, unscored experimental section, which by mm -hmm. the way, for those of you who are not familiar, it can be any random section. It's an extra section of either reading comp, logical reasoning, or games. You're not going to know which one it's going to be. You're not going to know what section it's going to be in the four sections, but you are going to have four sections starting in August of 2021. Three of them will be scored. One of them will be the variable section and you'll have a break between section two and three. Cool. <laughs> and it says they're going to do that for the next several years. I think everyone's going to get used to it and that's just going to be the new norm or they'll go to computer adaptive. Finally, that would be great. Well, I haven't looked at this blog post. Uh, I just now saw this. LSAT August 2021 and beyond. Um, this would actually be interesting to take a quick peek at just to see if there's any actual information in here. Sounds like um, the score for the August 2021 test might get delayed, they're saying. They're worried that there's going to be this new variable section, a.k.a. the experimental section, and they're not sure how they're going to deal with that. You know, they're anticipating that there's going to be some disasters with with Proctor U, with the new format, with people mm -hmm. taking a break and coming back. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, adding an unscored section really shouldn't affect your score. <laughs> right? It shouldn't affect the balancing. It shouldn't affect the testing, the validity of the sections that are scored. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't assume but yeah they've just they're covering their asses with a warning that your score might be delayed if you take the october 2021 test yeah they're not giving any hints about what they're actually going to do in the beyond there's nothing there about eliminating the logic games there's nothing there about going to computer adaptive nothing about any of that i do i do want to talk about one thing here they say um how, so the question is, how will scores for the new LSAT compare for scores for the LSAT Flex? It got reaction, no different, right? They're both three graded sections, and that's what they say here. They say, we anticipate that the scores from the three-section LSAT Flex and the August 2021 LSAT with the three sec scored sections and one unscored variable section will be aligned, since they both contain three scored sections with the same methodology and <laughs> questions. Okay, so I guess... What's not being said here is, isn't this kind of acknowledging that a four-section test is not aligned, that the old test is not aligned with the LSAT Flex? Yet, I felt like when the LSAT Flex came out, they're like, hey, 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 it's all the same. It's all good. We're going to treat them the same. It, I mean, we were in... <laughs> we were in COVID times and people were doing the best they could to just like adapt. Yeah. I don't know that they even thought about it. That it's, it's all like they never commented. <laughs> <laughs> they just were like, Oh, well, Oh, we need to make the test shorter. Well, you know, we have two logical reasoning sections, so we could just get rid of one of those. I'm sure somebody, somebody who never took the LSAT is sitting in the boardroom and like, why do we have two LR sections? <laughs> Yeah, it could very well be that the MBAs made the decision, um, not the, uh, you know, psychometricians that actually create the tests. I imagine that the psychometricians are like pulling their hair out, like, wait, we're going to do what now? And they're, trust me, no, it's fine. We're, we, get out of here. Come on. Just do it. Do you know happen. how much revenue we're going to get off of these tests for the remainder of 2020? 
we're moving forward. And Proctor U says, if we don't have a break, we're going to save 25%. <laughs> yeah. They'll charge us less if we, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're very excited. It was actually in their own email. They were very excited about the number of people who took the test in 2020. Yeah. So, you know, they're acknowledging that they took it to the bank, the LSAT, the <laughs> online LSAT. And, uh, they they are going to continue wearing that path back and forth <laughs> to the to the bank deposit box. Um, yeah, <laughs> for as long as they can, I'm sure. Uh, which hey, bless them. It's America, I suppose. Yep. <laughs> Want to uh, anything else we need to say about this? No, that's all. I was happy to hear that. I mean, finally the test dates are out. That's nice. And then I I was happy to hear that they're going to keep it online i mean uh, that would have been a disaster to go back to yeah try to go no, back to in person great great news and besides yep. in person was a digital test so it's like <laughs> what are we doing we're all just like congregating <laughs> yeah taking an <laughs> it was taking a test that was virtually online on a tablet computer already sitting next to somebody though who if they get nervous and actually vomit during the test you're gonna have to which smell their did puke, happen by the which way did, that happened that's a real story yeah um that is not possible with the new online version i mean unless you know your roommate barfs but oh yeah uh, there's a situation you take it when your roommate takes it <laughs> yeah uh okay so great let's uh let's move along why don't you take this next one sure dear ben nathan and annalisa exclamation point i'm a longtime podcast listener demon subscriber and a notorious ask button hitter all right man that's good this is from casper the demon is hands down the best lsat prep and i can't help you enough thank you enough help you you enough enough, for putting it out there well maybe casper wants to help us he wants to (laughs) (laughs) spread the word yeah Yeah, casper we, we love it i'm glad to hear it um i have started my lsat journey in august last year with a diagnostic of 160, which then turned into a 174 on the January flex. That's amazing. As much as I realize how great the 174 is, I keep beating myself whether or not I should retake. Let me explain. My dream has always been to go to Yale, Harvard, Harvard or Stanford, although just being at T14 would make me happy. I am an international student from Europe, and I already have two law degrees, namely Bachelor's in Law, LLB, from London, and a Master's in Law, an LLM, from China. Holy shit. Okay. According to what I heard and read, it seems to be significantly harder to get admitted for students who are not the U.S. Canadian citizen, who are not U.S. or Canadian citizens, in particular, the ones who do not attend college in North America. Okay, let's just stop right there. Do you... Do you know anything about that? I don't know anything about that. Well, just keep going. I mean, I have a hypothesis. Okay. It's harder for them to get in because they're worse at English. The LSAT is a very difficult test of English. Law school is in English. Legal practice in the United States is in English. I think that when students are coming from other places they tend to be not as good at English, which makes law schools worried. I can't imagine that that's the case when you're coming from England. 
but but I also think that there are just vastly fewer people who actually want to come from England to to be a lawyer in the United States. Sure. Anyway, why don't you read the rest of what he's got here? Numbers seem to confirm it. People with foreign GPAs, i.e., that is, the ones under not included in undergraduate GPA calculations on 509 reports, make up only a tiny fraction of all students at any given law school. But that's like an LSAT logical reasoning error. Yeah, that's (laughs) how many of those people are actually applying. (laughs) No, exactly. The reason for that is that most people don't get up and leave the country that they are from. Yep. The vast majority of humans live their entire life in one country. <laughs> the United okay. States is a gigantic place. I mean, most people don't even travel from one coast to the other, let alone go to a different country. The reason why American law schools are stuffed with American students is because that's where the Americans are. And if you're coming to law school in America, you're planning to stay here almost certainly. So it's not just a move to law school. It's a move. No, it's not a temporary thing. Yeah. Nobody's going to come get a JD. I mean, I guess some, some foreign students will come get a a US JD. (laughs) Just, it's almost like a signaling like documentation that they're good enough at English and then they can go back to China or wherever and practice law in a, like a international facing kind of a role. Yeah. Um, but that's got to be the slim exception to the rule. <laughs> a tiny fraction. A tiny Fo- fraction. <laughs> As he says, following your advice, I will not apply this cycle, but instead wait until September to submit my documents. I have some strong softs, including involvement in human rights NGOs all around the world. <laughs> Casper, I- I'd love for you to get more specific. That sounds overly grandiose. Fluency in three languages, representing my country, a number of international conferences, etc. But I'm not certain whether this will be enough to offset my foreignness. They're not racist against you, dude. They're not racist. They are worried about your English, which is why they are going to look very carefully at your LSAT score. They don't have a GPA that came from the United States. I mean, they do though have <clears throat> the bachelor's in law from London. They just don't give grades on a 4.0 scale in that probably mm-hmm. since they don't have a zero to 4.0, you know, us GPA, they're going to be wary, uh, not weary. They're going to be wary <laughs> Um, of your ability to, to succeed in a U.S. English-speaking law school. Yeah, I, I would say they're going to look at your LSAT score, but they're also going to look at your personal statement, they're going to look at your entire application, yeah. and they're going to look at your writing sample. Um, I think it's small things, but even this email has several small things that kind of say, hey, um, I'm not fully fluent. I mean, that's true for a lot of applicants, but I mean, you in particular need to run everything through Grammarly and get this as cleaned up as possible. And write shorter. Yeah. Write shorter. The more you write, the more opportunities you have for typos and little grammar errors and idiosyncrasies. This is a pretty long email for what it actually says. 
there's random phrases in here that don't even say anything like representing my country. Yeah. What do you mean representing your country? <laughs> Where, what, when did you represent your country at what, at the Olympics or at, a, at what, you know, yeah. like it, it, maybe he meant representing my country at a number of international conferences, but he didn't say that he put a comma. So it's like, yeah. what? I don't, it, it's just, and, and Casper, it's in every single paragraph of this email. Like if I had a red pen, I would be drawing on every single paragraph of this entire email. Mm-hmm. It's subtle little things. It's not bad. It's not bad. We understand but it's these subtle little things. Mostly, that just make it... <laughs> yeah. And and the one th- I mean, he needed he needed to edit this better before he hit send. But he he also needed to edit it down just less so that there's yeah. less opportunities to make these mistakes. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah, but if the flip side of this is if you come in strong with a well-written personal statement, you clean up any opportunities where you have a chance to write, then those fears will instantly evaporate, right? If I'm reading it and I notice that you're doing the right thing in the right place, I'm like, oh, a lot of people don't know that, but you're doing that. English must be not a problem. I love well, your LSAT score. Uh, let's party. Yeah, the 174. <laughs> let's party. <laughs> the uh, the 174 is going to go a long way. I mean that 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 says a lot. Yep. Right. I mean, you can't be shitty at English and get a 174. That's just not a thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the question that Casper's about to okay. get around to. I'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not certain whether this will be enough to offset my foreignness. Okay, that's where we ended. The 174 I got is about an average of my recent practice tests. I could score up to a high of 177, 178, and a low of 172. My undergrad GPA won't even be calculated, so the whole emphasis is on the LSAT. Does this situation warrant a retake? Thousand percent. Thousand percent. There's no downside. You're not applying until September anyway. Your PTs have 177s and 178s on them. Yeah. If you get unlucky and you score a little bit lower, it doesn't matter. You're still a 174. If you get a little bit lucky and score a 175, even a 175 or a 176 starts to move you past, you know, a few hundred other applicants at these schools. This last cycle, we had twice as many people applying with 175s and higher as we did the cycle before that. Yeah. Twice as many people applying with 175s and higher as we did the previous cycle. Right now, Casper is not in that bucket. With two more points, Casper's in that bucket. And I just don't see any downside. So why can you imagine why you wouldn't take it again? No, it just reminds me of our presumption. If you haven't taken your five official practice tests, the question is, why not? Yeah, the the burden is on you to to decide that you're done with the LSAT. Yeah. I don't even see an argument here for there is no argument here for not taking it. He's just like, should I retake it? Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, especially in the situation where it's clear that half of your, it sounds like half of Casper's PTs are higher than the 174. Yep. 
no brainer. Retake it. Those are good odds. And it doesn't matter if you score a few points lower, lower. So who cares? Like they're going to see, oh boy, he scored 172. He took it again and scored 172. Well, what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, no, they still report him as a 174 on their ABA reports and to US News and to the world. He's still a 174. There is no downside. So yeah, take it, take it again. He continues, also, do you have any special advice to international applicants? I think we covered that. There aren't that many of us, but we exist, and we are good folks. (laughs) I'm sure you're better (laughs) folks than fucking Americans are. Um, So, yeah, and I'm detecting a weird, like, Casper thinks that he's going to be discriminated against. He's Mm -hmm. He's not. The law schools would love to have you if you have the credentials. You, your 174 already is a damn good start. All your softs, those two previous law degrees, you know, you're you're looking good, Casper. You're you're gonna get lots of nice offers. But since you're not applying until September anyway, I just can't imagine why you wouldn't try to eke out a, just a couple more points. And and by the way, all my advice to you to get your writing in order would apply to any applicant. Americans who do the same thing have the same problem. If they write poorly. Yeah. yeah. So this is not like, oh, I'm just saying you do have mistakes, so you do need to fix them. People will notice that shit. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we have a bit of a reputation, especially for people who listen to the podcast. They know that we're going to rip the shit out of what they write. Yeah. And if, if he like really edited this before he sent it in, then he needs to double edit or triple edit or quadruple edit his, his, uh, application materials. Cause there's some, there's some goofs in here. Yeah. Okay. Ready for the snacks? This, uh, next one. Yeah. Go for it. Subject. An older applicant wonders if he's crazy. Hi fellas. I'm a 30-something with an MFA in creative writing. Right away, you're just not an older applicant. <laughs> 30-somethings. No. 30-something is a new 20-something. Like 28, right? Or something like that. It's pretty high. Maybe it's yeah, not 20, I don't, but that, it's... That's not out of, the, out of the range of common... That's just not uncommon at all that people apply in their 30s. Yeah. Um, I mean, I applied, I guess I started law school when I was like 33, I was a little bit older, but I wasn't significantly older that like, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I I, I don't, and I don't, the law schools are only going to go, Oh, cool. You've done some shit after (laughs) college. You have an, you have many better opportunities for personal statement topics. Your resume is going to actually have some shit on it. I don't, that's nothing but a feather in your cap to be in your thirties. I've been working some combination of publishing, adjuncting and freelancing gigs for the last five years. I've been weighing career change options for a while now and started seriously considering law school last year. I now think maybe naively that it would be gratifying to apply my skill set as a writer and critical reader to a legal practice that could actually benefit people, the environment, 
and my community in definite ways. If you could make one edit to that last sentence, what would you cross out? I'd start with actually. <laughs> okay, what else? Um, in definite ways. In definite ways. Yeah. It was 100% bullshit. Yeah. It didn't change the meaning of the sentence. It it tried to provide definitiveness when it was doing the exact opposite of that. I mean, the reality is we could just keep going. Uh, one thing you're doing here, who is this, by the way? Let's see. Um, 30 something writer person. <laughs> All right, 30 something writer person. Um, TSWP. TSWP, you're, you're a, a good writer in the sense you don't have any like mistakes. Your prose is clear, but it's extraordinarily wordy. Like benefit people, the environment, and my community. People covers your community. It, <laughs> I, you know, as a writer and a critical reader to a legal practice, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know that we need any of this. We have to pop off on thirty something writer person because they were already blowing up their own writing skills. Yep. The second you start talking about your writing skills, we're going to, we're going to have to get in there even more than we normally would. But, um, you know, you think you might be naive. Yeah, I think you might be naive. I mean, I, I know a little bit about legal practice and, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I guess some lawyers benefit people, the environment and their community. Well, there's there's a lot of problems here, and that is you're basically saying, okay, I'm a writer and I'm a critical reader. Whether or not you are a critical reader is actually hard to tell <laughs> until you start doing reading comp the LSAT on the LSAT. will do right? a good job of telling whether you're really a critical reader. Yep. Like, where are you scoring on the LSAT? Uh, but anyways, it, it's kind of like, oh, I have this skill, and I have this other skill and I think those skills are used in legal practice. Therefore, I want to practice law. I mean, there are so many other aspects to legal practice that may be like putting pencils in your eyes, such as research, yeah. um, negotiating with opposing counsel, with clients. Fighting. <laughs> like seriously, fighting, like just conflict. Yeah. Angry people all the time. I mean, you could go... so. In my mind, there are two big domains in the legal world, right? There's transactional, what happens when people are making agreements before they get to court. In other words, how do you prevent parties from going to court? And then there's litigation, which is the shit hit the fan and now we have to clean it up. If you want to go down the fighting route, that's litigation. If you want to go down the friendly, let's make a deal route, that's transactional drafting, making documents for big corporations or small ones. But the thing is, that's not interesting writing. That's legalese to a T, right? That's like, thou shalt not do this. There's a a vastly different type of critical reading that happens in MFA programs or any creative writing program. You're actually that's encouraged totally, to read between the lines, right? Like, yeah, what a, did the uh, yeah? Anyways, very so. different type of critical reading than what the LSAT really is is technical reading, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's well, hey, computer scientists and like electrical engineers 
kill the LSAT, typically. Yep. Economists, physicists, those people do the best. Because it's lines of code. Mm Mm-hmm. For people who are going to imbue these things with more meaning than they actually contain or interpret these things in ways that aren't really on the page, that ain't what the LSAT's about. Yep. So you might be in for a little bit of a shock. And it, I'm going to go on here because it, it sounds like he, he is struggling a little bit with the LSAT, which is a bit of a red flag. Yep. Um, I've been in touch since summer with a student and alum and an admissions professor at my local law school, and they gave me the impression it's not very difficult to get in and that they have a strong funnel to jobs in my state. I mean, of course, that's what they're going to (laughs) say. Every law school encourages everybody to apply. They're never going to tell you not to apply. They're always going to tell you, oh, we love to get applications from people who look just like you. He goes on, they also assured me that a large percentage of the students they admit are second career slash older people like me. Yep, of course they do. We help people just like you. (laughs) You're the perfect fit. (laughs) You're the perfect applicant. You should definitely apply. The cost of in-state tuition here is low compared to other schools. uh, $19,000. That's really low compared to lots of schools. Still a lot of money, though. Yep. I mean, you're talking about like a Toyota Camry every year for three years in a row. Yep. And my wife is a nurse. So despite your general advice, I'm not averse to taking out loans. I, that I makes do, no sense. Dude. Makes that no sense. Makes I was going to no say. Sense. <laughs> okay. So you, <laughs> your ahead, wife ben. is earning some money and now you're just going to make it like even harder to like. <laughs> it's only $19,000 a year instead of $49,000 a year. So I should borrow $19,000 a year. <laughs> Get back to work. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm having fun. You're going to spend the down payment on a house easily, even at this school. In three years, you're going to spend the down payment on a house. That's insane, dude. What are you talking about? And the fact that your wife, yeah, your wife has a great career. Good. That is not a reason to waste money on law school. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I'm struggling with the LSAT, but I can consistently score in the upper 150s after a couple months of studying, which is above my school's median. Ooh. Notice the writing error there. Oh, yeah. The witch is referring to the <laughs> studying. Yeah. Yeah. The one fit. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm planning to take the January LSAT and finish my application this month. A timeline I've been assured is totally fine with this admissions committee. God, this is such a basic, you're basic 30 <laughs> something writer person. You're exactly, we've gotten this email a thousand times. This is so, this is so common. I mean, it's and every law school. Oh no, no, you, we accept applications well into the spring and you're, you're oh, at a you're, used car lot sales like yes. place. And they're telling you that they can make the loan work for you. Yeah. And he's talking to a handpicked student of the school. He's talking to a handpicked alum of the school. He's talking to the admissions committee or the admissions sales person at the school. He said admissions professor, which it's they're in a sales. That's a sales job. And they're selling you. They are working you over is what's happening. All right. 
That feels a little crazy. And I know already you would generally advise people to improve their score and apply next year. Yes. But as an older student with my first kid on the way, and a general sense that I can get in now to the only school I'd apply to, I feel some time pressure. And I'm sure that that school is what? loving that you're feeling that time pressure. What what is the what does the kid on the way have anything to do with whether you apply now or next year? Your kid is going to be in your house for the next 18 years or more. <laughs> ben, you have four kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at when they're going to launch. I'm like, okay, let's see here. I mean, I love them, but you know, how long are they going to be around? They're, they're going to be around for a long, for a long time, time. Which is, it's, if anything, the first kid yeah. on the way to me is an argument that maybe this isn't the right time. I mean, are you kidding me? You like r really think that that's a the best time to start law school? Yeah, you're going to be in law school when you have a child. I that happened to me. I remember my uh, con law teacher recorded the class for me. That was kind of unusual back then. And like said, hi, oh, oh, Ben just had a, well, I didn't have a kid, but you know, I was a party to the birth of a child. And um, your yeah. first year of law school is your most important year of law school. That's the year where your, yeah. you know, your grades are going to determine what kind of job opportunities you get. Your first year grades in law school yeah. largely determine what kind of job opportunities you're going to get at most schools. Yep. Maybe wait till the kid pops. I mean, you might be able to start law school by the time this kid is out of diapers. I, yeah. Also, yeah. Then that means, I mean, your, your wife is going to have to take time off work. It's, it's, it's not an easy time to your be wife is the big earner in the family and probably can, will continue to be, especially if you're going to be a lawyer that helps the environment. Or people, or your, community. or your community. I mean, the lawyers that make money are the lawyers that help businesses. Yeah. That's, it seems like that should go without saying, but it, it bears repeating. You know, your wife as a nurse has a great career. Financially, for your family, do part-time gigs, be an adjunct, and take care of the kid and let her work. Don't go the opposite route of borrowing. You know, if you borrow $19,000 a year, plus probably some living expenses, plus interest, you're still talking about... Plus the money you're not Plus earning, the lost right? earning opportunity. Sorry. You're yeah. easily, at that point, talking about six figures that you're going to go into debt for a very uncertain, at least financially, very uncertain proposition. And mildly sketchy law school. I mean, what, their median is 150? Right. Or no, actually it's below... Well, Let's say it's mid-150s. It's below the upper That means it's an okay regional yeah. law school. Do they make real lawyers? Yes, they do. Do those lawyers go out and kill it and make six figures? Not very often. Nope, they're probably making 50, 60. Right, which is nothing wrong with that. That's fine. You just got to know what you're getting yourself into. And it doesn't look to me like... 30 something writer person knows what they're getting themselves into. Like, do you know any lawyers other than the ones that were referred to you by your school? <laughs> it's like the wolves. honest question. I don't, I don't oh. think you do. And most people don't. I mean, <laughs> I didn't when I went to school, yeah. which is why I'm so like 
passionate about trying to talk some sense into these, into these people. Also the argument that I'm older, what are you talking about, dude? It's a second career. You're still going to practice law for 30 years. What difference does it make if you practice law for 30 years or you practice law for 29 years? You know, like if you start law school this fall, 2021, you're going to graduate in 2024. If you wait another year, you're going to graduate in 2025. What difference does it make if you graduate in 2024 versus graduate in 2025? You know, and I don't even think we're we're thinking about that correctly. I think what happens is if you wait a year, right, you're going to go to a better law school. You're going to go for a lot less money, which means well, you can get a better job. He's not going to a different law school. He's locked into this one local law school, which already might be a mistake. But even if you grant him that, go ahead, Ben. The, I mean... Well, I'm just talking about people in general, right? We we constantly say, "Hey, wait a year, do go to a better law school or pay for less, you know, or ideally pay less." Um, I guess what I'm thinking is that if you if you do put up push up your score say 10 points and you go to a totally different tier of law school, yeah, you delayed the whole process by a year, but now you're making more money, so you can actually end your career earlier. Right. I see. I see where you're going. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Well, especially if you don't go six figures into debt while you're in law school. Yeah. You're not going to have to pay that off for the first five, 10 years, whatever it is. You can start bailing it out much sooner and really pursue things in life you want to pursue. Uh, yeah. What brutally honest advice would you give older applicants like me who are considering a career change slash paying to go to their local law school? Any reality checks about shifting into a law career from a writing background? Thanks for the work you do. Uh, 30 something writer person. That last bit, any reality checks about shifting to a law career? from a writing background that comes off to me as really naive. What do you mean a law career? You know, in what definite ways are you going to help people, the environment and your community in a law career? What job exactly are you trying to get? Yeah, it just, I don't have a clear picture here. If he had said, uh, law firms in my area hire regularly from this school. And I think I can go to the school and get a job that pays whatever amount at whatever local firm. I would be much more enthusiastic about this. It's just so vague. I don't, I don't, this sounds like every other basic email that we get, which it looks like people have no clue what they're getting themselves into and they're rushing into it. Yeah. This 30 something is said, I've been working some combination of publishing, adjuncting and freelancing. Honestly, it sounds like you're just trying to scrap together like and income. That's what right? MFAs like, oh, in creative writing do. I mean, you, you also yeah. don't get jobs out of an MFA in creative writing. 
not that there's yeah. anything wrong with an MFA in creative writing. It's just not like the money train, you know? So he's been struggling to find, he's got a variety of different work, but it sounds interesting. I mean, teaching's fun. I bet publishing could be fun. Whatever freelance writing gigs he's doing is probably kind of fun. Uh, sounds flexible with the kid. Yeah. I guess what I'm thinking is if 30 something is looking for like a more steady paycheck, go get a job as a, you know, a legal assistant or something at one of these firms in your area, you immediately get the income and it's not going to be what you'd make as an attorney, but you can figure out whether you really want to do this. And you'll have the ties to the community that would actually make this risk much less risky. We had a podcast episode on jobs without JDs. Uh, there's all kinds of jobs in law, especially jobs in law that help people that don't require mm -hmm. expensive JDs. If you just really yeah. want to help people and get a regular paycheck, I don't think a JD is the way to go, especially not for somebody who's got a kid on the way. And, you know, it, at the very least, please don't go this cycle. It's the most competitive cycle yeah. ever. You don't yet have your best you. LSAT score. You're applying late in the cycle. You're violating every bit of our advice. Don't do it this cycle. At least wait and apply at the beginning of the next cycle with a better LSAT score yeah. and then see what kind of offers you get. At the very least. <laughs> You're laughing. What? I was just thinking I could, we could add to the like litany of reasons for not just list this listener, but all other listeners. If you have a kid that's about to pop, maybe wait a year. That's one more. If reason. you don't have your best LSAT score, wait a year. If you're applying late in the cycle, wait a year. You know, if you think being above the median is a good idea, it's not wait a year. <laughs> I mean, if you're considering paying for law school, don't wait a year. Mm -hmm. Just, if you have a kid on the way, wait a year. <laughs> yeah, that's, Ben's doubling down on that one. <laughs> <laughs> wait until the kid anyway. exists and see what you think then. <laughs> Your whole shit's yeah. about to change. So That's true. The most gratifying emails we ever get are the ones where people are like, guys, I just can't thank you enough. I decided not to go to law school. You know, I, I was going to apply... Uh, a year and a half ago, but I decided not to. And instead I did this other thing. And in retrospect, I'm so glad I didn't. And that's like the best, that's the best news we ever get from people. So, um, maybe <clears throat> 30 something writer person can, uh, write us again in, uh, you know, six months with an update, but, uh, do not go this cycle. You're getting bullshitted by those admissions folks. You're just, they're just giving it to you. Don't. Yeah. All right. Ready for this next one? You think it's on you? Yep. Yep. Hey guys, feel free to share on the podcast. I want to share that not only did the demon land me an awesome score, but taking to heart, don't pay for law school has really saved me a lot of disappointment this cycle. Getting waitlisted at schools where I am at or above both medians has been frustrating. It's a competitive cycle, but those were my reach schools because it would have been a reach to get top scholarships from them. I applied to 20 schools and I have five full tuition offers with the possibility of a few more coming through. 
For the schools I am admitted to and have received scholarships from, the scholarship calculator has been correct about the offers at seven of eight, even in this crazy Oh, cycle. nice. Shout out wow. to the LSAT Demon Scholarship Estimator. That's yeah. at lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. It's free and open to everybody. And you can put in yeah. some numbers and play around with it a little bit and see what types of offers you're likely to get. But uh, nice work to Jackson um, for uh, he did the bulk of the work on on that tool. And uh, it's nice to hear that it's right. Yeah, that's awesome. The advice to apply to more schools has also been a lifesaver lifesaver this cycle. It has been extremely competitive and the de- and decisions are unpredictable. So limiting to five to 10 schools has some people on edge. I received waivers from all of the schools I applied to. 20 schools with a $45 LSAC fee isn't cheap, but panic applying late in the cycle would probably cost you more in lost scholarships. Oh, Obviously, yeah, sure. not even close. Orders yeah. of magnitude yeah, difference. Yeah. Yeah, people gotta like, can't be penny wise and pound foolish. I'm so grateful for the podcast and all the great advice I've gotten. Now I have the exciting and torturous task of choosing between great full tuition offers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where we want everyone to be, right? It's not just, oh, which one did you get in for free at and therefore are gonna go to? Which ones did you get into? for free, right? It's a fucked up, broken system. They give too many scholarships that are merit based and merit is primarily determined by LSAT and GPA. And if you don't get a scholarship, you're paying for people who did. It's simple. You're, you shouldn't pay for law school. They, they charge way too much money for it. It's just not a yep. good move. You don't have to pay. Why would you pay? Follow our advice and don't pay. It's simple. Yep. She throws in some data here. Extra information for anyone still hung up on the rankings. I applied to schools from the top 14 through the 80s, so schools ranked 80 and above. I have been accepted at schools ranked in the 20s and higher. My full tuition offers are from the 30s and higher. I'm glad she included that, that information. Thank you, Melissa, very much for this yeah. email. Yeah. Notice what's happening here. So she's a candidate who can't quite get into the top 14. Yep. That's fine. Most people can't. She did apply broadly, though. She got denied everywhere in the top 14. She started getting into some of the schools in the 20s. And then she started getting yeah. full ride offers from the schools in the thirties. So full. Yeah. Ride. So what she's talking about is turning down some school in the twenties, name a random school in the twenties. I, this is a good point actually that the twenties and the thirties aren't different anyway. No. Um, I think my alma mater, George Washington is in the, it's in the twenties. Yeah. Okay. So George 20s. Washington in the twenties and she's going to turn down yep. George Washington which is the second best school in DC and the third Mm -hmm. best school in the DC area is UVA close enough to be in the DC area. Yeah. UVA. Okay. It's two hours away. Yep. Okay. Third best school in the DC area wants to admit her. 
and she's going to turn that down. And instead she's going to go to a school ranked in the thirties. What's a school in the thirties in your area? Um, uh, maybe George Mason might be like low, th- like high thirties or low forties. I think yeah. that's roughly what we're it's, talking about here is turning down George yeah. Washington and going to George Mason instead. George Washington's going to yeah. be like, Oh yeah, we would love to have you. We're going to charge you $60,000 a year. George Mason's going to be like, we would love to have you. We're going to charge you $0 a year. Yep. And that's the position that Melissa's in because she was smart enough to apply early, apply broadly, apply with her best LSAT score. Congratulations, Melissa. You win the thinking LSAT podcast. Also, just a quick reminder, we've said this a million times, but if you're sitting there and you're still on the fence, remember that Melissa is going to be in class, not thinking about any sort of debt, and the people that are going to be sitting next to her are going to be easier to compete with. So she's going to have a better chance of at least doing well, let alone being in the, say, the top 10%. And just increases her chances yeah. for law review, for everything she's else. She's going to look to her left and go, oh, you're paying for my torts class. And she's going to look to her right and go, oh, you're paying for my contracts class. And I have a higher LSAT and undergraduate GPA than you guys do. And we're going to compete now for grades. Yep. You know, and if you think about it from the other perspective, if you're going to pay for a school in the 30s, like it sounds like 30 something writer person might've been about to do. Well, now you're going to be sitting next to Melissa going, Oh, I'm paying for your classes and you have higher undergraduate and LSAT credentials than I do. And I have to compete with you for grades. Yep. It's just the wrong end of the stick. You're just, (laughs) just don't do it that way. It's dumb. All right. Congratulations, Melissa. That's awesome. Excuse of the week time. Somebody put this, <laughs> this is, Oh, this is from, from one of our teachers. Uh, I'm not going to name the teacher just in case I don't want to get too frisky with the <laughs> students, but one of our students. So this is one of our teachers suggested this as a, uh, excuse of the week. The excuse of the week is I don't know what that word means. The teacher says, I hear this every once in a while and it drives me nuts. Big words students don't understand on the LSAT are either, one, irrelevant subjects, two, redundant words that are defined in the next sentence, or three, high school level words like undermines or alleviates. Students should know if they read the news once in a blue moon. Wow, that's a little bit snarky, but... (laughs) I mean, I am sympathetic to this complaint from our teacher. And it is still pretty easy to understand those category three words in context. Most of the time students bring up weird words. I don't know what they mean either. And I do just fine. And that's from one of our teachers. You know what, Ben, when I teach my classes and we do, for example, reading comp, I think it happens most commonly in reading comp. Sure. I encounter words that I don't understand all the time. Yeah. A lot. And I have a big vocabulary. Yeah. So what? You can always get it from context. Yeah. There's a, it's like, it's like they let the word derail everything. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, I don't know what that means. And, and if you don't know what it means, you feel like, 
what could I do? How could I possibly know something I don't know? And so I'm stuck. And it's like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're like, I don't know what that means either. But given everything that was just said, it sounds like a bad thing. The author is saying this is bad or the author is saying this is good. I don't know what it means, but everything else around this makes me believe this is what it says. And I comprehend the meaning of the sentence. Yeah, they'll, they will. So let's take the three categories in order. Cause I do have different, okay. I have a different response to each of these three, right? Sure. So one yep. of them, yep. irrelevant subjects, they're irrelevant. And that happens a lot, like, especially with, um, highly technical terms the you know yeah especially it's very common in in logical reasoning and in reading comp in natural science passages well some the latin name for some bacteria you know h pyloris yep. or whatever in italics and yeah. it's like well we clearly are not i've never heard of that <laughs> I've, I've never heard of that that type of bacteria we're, we're yeah, not required to be have. a biologist or to <laughs> read latin so that clearly yeah. is not something that we need to really know about. And that happens all the time. People's names that you've never heard of, places you've never heard of, weird technical shit, you know, it'll some technical, like, it'll be like a part of a satellite or something like that. You know, and it's like, you're, you're not supposed yeah. to know what that means. You're not supposed to have ever heard of that before. And if, yeah. if that's what you're pointing out, well, then you just need to realize that's not what they're testing you on. The second category, redundant words that are defined in the next sentence. That's where you just or have to in hang that in sentence. there. Yeah, I was going to say, it could be in the next clause, like just clause. especially yeah. when they do comma or especially when they do M dash. Yeah. They very frequently are going to just like tell you what that word means. <laughs> Did you keep reading? <laughs> so hang in there. Don't panic the second, you know, I think that's what happens is they see a word they don't understand and they just immediately hit the panic button mm -hmm. when it's like, dude, you could have just calmed down and read the next little bit because they're going to give you and they do this in reading comp, especially all the damn time. Yeah, something like probably half of the reading comp passages in the first paragraph or two, they're going to have some term that you've never heard before, and then they're going to just straight define the term for you. So keep reading. The last one is the worrisome bit, you know, and, and for, for people who are saying, I don't know what undermines means, or I don't know mm -hmm. what alleviates means. You're probably having that experience a lot, like on many, many questions. And there'll be like eight words in one reading comp passage that you don't understand. I have a little bit of tough love for those folks, which it does seem like it, it seems like our teacher is trying to give the tough love here, which is, Hey, if you read a reading comp passage and there's 15 words in there that you don't understand, you're going to have a real, real hard time, not only with this test, but with law school and with legal practice. Yeah. You have, you have two options here. Um, one, well, you have multiple options, but two that come to my mind are one, look at this for what it's telling you. Y you don't have the chops yet to, to deal with this profession because words like undermines and alleviates are basic words. You need to know what they mean and they're not 
that hard for the people who are going to law school and going on to practice law. So one option is to leave. Another option is to face this reality and turn this obstacle into an opportunity to make yourself a lot smarter, essentially. Like basically bite the bullet. Anytime you find one of these words, look it up, create flashcards, and make this weakness your strength. Probably shouldn't say say smarter there. We should probably just say like better educated, right? Like more experienced, more knowledgeable. Well, I'm actually going to push back on that. I'm going to say that, (laughs) yes. Ben's going to end his career right here. No, no, I'm serious about this. Everything we do changes our brain. It doesn't matter whether you watch videos or you read a book, you're changing your brain. So if you say, I'm going to take this issue, I don't know a lot of words and I'm going to start learning them, you're going to create connections in your brain, which I think are going to increase your capacity to learn. So, yeah. And like, capacity to learn is certainly people... a measure of smartness. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Um, I would just say that that probably is going to be a very long haul. Like, that's not an easy fix. That's not... It depends on how, why you got into the situation you're in, right? But if yeah, there's... it's a long haul. But I mean, let's be honest. If you read a typical reading comprehension passage and there are like seven words in there that you don't understand... Or if this happens to you a lot on logical reasoning, where there's a word like undermines that's in this question and you don't understand that word. If that happens to you more than rarely, you're probably like months away from any kind of a good LSAT I'm not saying this is going to be easy by any means. You may have to, I would actually suggest getting like an SAT or yeah. An SAT Reader's or Digest had some awesome GMAT, like vocabulary tests like, in them back in the day. Uh, it, yep. It, there's way, but and by the way, read books, yep. books all the time. Read books every day. Like, develop a habit of reading every single day, and two years from now, your LSAT score will be vastly improved. Yeah. But that's the long. By the way, run. there's one group. There's one group, yeah, it's a long, that's the long run plan, but it's not a bad one. I, I, I think that, um, I mean, it could be a bad one. I'm just saying that like life is life, right? Like if this is really something you want to pursue, then face the reality of what you have to change about yourself and do it. I mean, five years from now, you'll still be five years older. Do you want to have taken that time to better yourself or just give up? You know, I don't yeah. know. I, I'm not, I don't want to encourage people like to do something that they shouldn't pursue but if you really want this then maybe you shouldn't be giving up because of one word right that's like the category one and category two that uh, our teacher is talking about here where it's just some subject you've never heard of or it's a word that they then give the definition of in those cases you got to just hang in there and not give up but in category three if the if the passage is just like chock full of words you don't understand you just, this might not be the right time for you to be trying to go to law school. It's only going to get worse from here. I mean, that's a, that's a uphill battle. Can I give you an analogy I just came up with? Sure. Um, you can be, uh, a bad shooter and still potentially play in the NBA. You can be short and still potentially play in the NBA you can be slow and still potentially be a play in the NBA, but you definitely cannot be short, slow, and a bad shooter 
and still play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you're in, if you're encountering many, many words on the test that you don't understand, you probably shouldn't be trying out for the NBA right now. Oh, I agree. You shouldn't be. And, but if you can fix that, then yes, if you can't let it go, you can learn to compensate for being a bad shooter. You can become a better shooter for one. You could learn to compensate for being slow. You could work out, work on your speed, maybe get faster. You could, you know, short, you probably can't do anything about, but there have been successful short players in the NBA who have been just awesome at everything else. Yeah. But when you're, when you got too many of those weaknesses, which that's, what's going on. If you really don't recognize lots and lots of words on the test, that's just a real, that's going to be, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's going to be a long grinding process, you know, and if you, if you decide you just don't want to go through that long grind, I don't blame you in the slightest. Yeah. Okay. Hey, so there's a fourth category of words that I feel like was left out here. And that is, there are these words that are, I think, they're not unique to the LSAT by any means, but they're they're just not that common. And the one that comes to my mind is like deleterious. Right? Sure. It's one of those words where you You can kind of break it don't down. Know the definition. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean you might be able to figure it out from context, but my point is is that you can there are some words that are harder than high school level words. Like he's talking about high school level words here in category three, right? Um, the LSAT likes to use them a lot. You may not know them, but just you'll see LSAT them. LSAT words. And Lawyer so look words. them up. Yeah. 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 Deleterious, by the way. The first half of it is delete. Mm-hmm. Look down at your keyboard and see the delete key. What does that do? Oh, it removes things. Hmm. I wonder if deleterious yeah. means having the quality of deleting. It's pretty much what that word means. Sometimes you don't even need context. Sometimes you just need to like look at the word, but I agree with Ben's point here is if you yeah. do a lot of LSAT practice, you're going to run across a lot of those words many times. And you can learn what those words mean in relatively short order, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there was another one. Sorry, I just I, it was like on the tip. Um, has to it means teaching. It's not pedagogical. Do you know the other the word that they like uh, to use pedagogy was teach? the first one I thought of. All right. Anyways, um, maybe it's didactic. Oh yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. They like that one. Yep. Anywho. Yep. Okay. Let's uh, dive into this personal statement. Um, It's on you. Why don't you read the email and I'll read the statement. Sure. Hello, Ben and Nathan. My name is Kayla and I'm an aspiring law student with a subscription to the demon. I'm looking to submit my personal statement to your podcast for critique. I reached out to Matt Dumont, who has helped me immensely but I would love to hear any further advice you have to offer. I've attached my personal statement below, yada, yada. Thanks. So forth. Okay. I liked her Kayla. closing. That's not a salutation. Is it a salu- closing salutation? Is that a thing? Salutation sounds like greeting. A hello, right? Right. Yeah. 
What's the word for that? Wishing you good health. I don't know. I thought that was nice. Wishing you good health. Kayla. Okay. Yeah. So this is going to be a critique of yeah, I've never seen that before. Kayla's personal statement, but also Matt Dumont is now in the wood chipper since mm-hmm. he's been helping her with this. In February 2020, I assumed the role of the executive manager of my family's eight supercuts franchises. So the verb here is assumed. It's like the act of taking on. What about I manage? Yeah, and uh, not sure February 2020 is really relevant. You know, you could just say I am the executive manager of my family's eight supercuts franchises. Yep. I don't like the double use of of in that sentence. I assumed the role of the executive manager of. And I'm not, I'm also not sure that's even correct. I assumed the role of the executive manager of the role of the executive. Wouldn't it just be, I assumed the role of executive manager. I don't think that the should be there. Oh, you don't, you're not assuming the role of, the previous executive manager, you are assuming the role of executive manager. Yeah. You got to cut that. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, it's, this is like that thing of like, people love to take, talk about when they applied for a job, when they interviewed for a job or when they were offered a job or now she's take, she's, it's about when she took the role of when I assumed the role of the job could have just started with what you do in that role. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what began as a responsibility to fulfill important day-to-day operations, paying bills, managing bank deposits, restocking inventory, and advising store managers, evolved into a full-time endeavor to adapt to the social, economic, and political ramifications of the COVID-19 pandemic. (laughs) Not my favorite. I mean, there's a lot of facts in there about all the stuff that you did on the day to day, but that's an awful long sentence. I'm not sure it's really necessary to do that with the, you know, it's a technically correct, I suppose, but what are you saying here? I don't like the commentary specifically on the pandemic. Um, Yeah. Listing the social, economic and political ramifications what do you mean you were adapting to the political ramifications? What? Yeah, your your supercuts super franchises cuts. were. Yeah. For eight of them. <laughs> and by the way, managing eight supercuts franchises is super fucking impressive. By itself. Yeah. You could have told me, I you know I became manager of my family's eight supercuts franchises one month before the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's yep. I I would, I I would, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. (laughs) Right. Like cut. That's like one third as many words. And it says more because it delivers the, the real goods in a more powerful way. Not only do you manage these eight franchises, which by itself, it's like, that's, 
that says so much. That's that says volumes. Yep. I can infer that you do all kinds of, inc- of incredible things by the fact that you are the executive manager. I don't know if you need executive manager. You're the manager of eight franchises. You're an executive. We get it. You can't manage eight franchises if it's not on an executive level. <laughs> You're not the store manager. I would favor the verb. I would just say I manage one month before co- I, I started managing my family's eight supercuts. If you want to talk about the time, you know, right before COVID hit or whatever. It's I like, manage okay. my family's eight supercuts franchises, period. Then start talking about the COVID challenges. That's fine. Yeah. You could cut that first paragraph down a lot. Um, the meat of it is that you manage eight franchises and that's a lot. That's a lot to say that that's okay. Due to this. We have a, go ahead. Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, this is, Oh, I was going to say due to is incorrect, but we can talk oh, about why. All right. Second. So second paragraph due to the financial effects of COVID-19, I closed two of the Supercuts salons in the fall of 2020. That's a powerful fact, you know, that you had to close two. That's got to be tough. And lawyers make tough decisions. Lawyers do hard things to people. (laughs) They really do. They have to deliver hard arguments. They have to deliver bad news. They have to just like fight and get dirty. And, you know, that's that's a tough one. Why is due to wrong there? I I don't know that. Yeah, well, so... The easy test is if you can replace due to with caused by, then it's correct. But if you replaced caused by the financial effects of COVID-19, I I see it's a subject problem. It doesn't make sense. It has to... um, Yeah, you are not due to the financial effects of COVID-19. The closings are due to... Yeah. I see. So you'd want to say because of. So in most cases, when people say due to, they can and often should just say because of. But here, I, I don't. I don't know if I would say it this word with this. I hate words. due to the financial effects of COVID nineteen. I mean, everybody gets it. Like, there's not one yeah. person on the planet who doesn't understand that COVID had ramifications. You already mentioned COVID. Yeah. You know, you could have said something like the hardest part of my job this fall was closing two of our salons, something like that. I don't know that you need to say COVID again. We understand that you're, you just said you're managing yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. When you say you had to close yeah. salons, we can infer that that's because of the financial effects of the pandemic. Yeah. It, it's like you're, you're 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 moving from facts to commentary it's it's still a, a largely factual sentence you did close these two supercuts salons in the fall it was because of the but when you start saying why you're actually moving away from facts and to like your commentary on why you you did that as opposed to just focusing on what you did. Like if you just focused on what you did, you could say in the fall of 2020, I closed two of the supercuts salons. We'd, we'd understand. Stick to the facts. There's just way too much editorialization in here. There's too much, too, too much commentary. Dismantling the stores, relocating the merchandise to storage 
and cutting ties with many loyal employees, was the unfortunate reality required for the overall business to survive? That's a terrible sentence. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're using was as your verb there. And you had three items that came before the it. subject is dismantling the stores reload, which who cares by the way, relocating the merchandise to story storage, who cares and cutting ties with many local loyal employees, which that's the, that's the hard part. That's the emotional part, but you're yeah. burying it in the mundane shit that you should be managing people to do. You're, you're trying to paint yourself as this like big time manager of multiple franchises. Are you really going to the storage unit? If you are, don't tell us about that. And then why is, was the subject here? I hate this. Was the unfortunate reality required for the overall business to survive? I mean, I get it, but you could have told me what it was like to have the meetings with these employees. You could have told me how you prepared for those meetings. You could have told me how you, how, how you, how the meetings went. You could have told me what the aftermath was. We, we understand that you had to close these shops. We get it. Specifically, I closed the stores to mitigate and alleviate company-wide risk and my family's financial concerns. Cut that entire sentence. <laughs> what? company-wide risk are you vaguely referring to well, your eight franchises or the supercuts business no, as a whole that's not, yeah that's not <laughs> what she means she means her family's franchise company which involves you know started with eight stores and sounds like it's now down to six and you're just I, repeating I, yourself I, i'm not sure about that i i think she might actually be referring to supercuts no like way. oh they're competing with each other yeah She's overselling herself so many times here. The social, economic, and political ramifications of the pandemic. Yeah. What did you do? I have a feeling she Kayla, you closed the, the stores. Great. But you don't need to then she's like protesting way too much. She's like, it's because of COVID and it's the unfortunate reality required for the overall business to survive. And we had to mitigate and alleviate company-wide risk and my family's financial concerns. Yeah, no shit. You had eight Supercuts franchises in the middle of COVID. You had to cut two of them. We understand why. You're just repeating yourself. There's no Kayla in this. There's no action in this. The problem with this is like you have something amazing to say. And unfortunately, you're going like five steps beyond what you need to. And now we hate it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, really, I do. It's 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 the problem with overselling. It's, yep. Well, it's too many conclusions and not enough facts. And yeah, here now we get into something I, that I actually like to okay. facilitate the two closures. I discontinued utility services and negotiated buyout terms, saving $30,000 in rent expenses. <laughs> Notice that she's using the dollar sign and the word dollars there, which mm. obviously is a no, no good, but, um, by the way, you would use the dollar sign there, not the word dollars, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I would. Yeah, and notice this is a fact and it's specific. Uh, 
it's impossible to argue with. Right. <laughs> and it shows you negotiating, which is amazing. Yeah. Now you're taking action with real world implications of, uh, you know, you've saved X money. Great. I also deliberated. I don't think this is going to be the right word. I also deliberated with the landlords of the other six stores in order to settle the lease agreements for the remainder of 2020. Pick a different word. Deliberated, ain't it? Yeah. Ultimately. That sounds like you're sitting around a table like. What should we do? Hmm. Let's think about this. (laughs) Uh, No, you're negotiating. Yeah. You're asking. You're not a council of judges. You're not a jury. You're not, you're not deliberating. You're negotiating. Ultimately, you know what they did there? They were going to say negotiated twice and they went into the thesaurus and they found deliberated as a, as a (laughs) synonym for negotiated and they decided to go with deliberated, but it's not right. Yep. Ultimately each landlord agreed to charge us only for common area maintenance fees. That's great. I, this is feet on the ground, practical shit. You actually did. You negotiated with the landlords in COVID times that's a pretty lawyerly type of thing. I'm on board with that fact. Yep. That's the second paragraph. Meanwhile, I work to ensure the future success of the six open salons. Cut. Yeah. I mean, here and there, you can get away with that type of little introductory thing to like, tell us that this is what you're going to tell us. But you're not really telling us, so you could have probably just got right to it. I think it, I, I don't know that it's necessary. I mean, you, you kept the six it's, doors open. It's not necessary. I, I think saying what you did yeah. is just more powerful. You could certainly cut it. After investing in per, in personal protective equipment for the store's employees, PPE. After investing in personal protective equipment for the store's employees. I arranged remote weekly meetings to train staff members on how to operate under new COVID-19 guidelines. The, I think it's good. The content's good. I don't like the word investing. Really? Yeah. I don't hate it. Like, it's like, I, I feel like it's overselling. Like you invested in it. Like well, you just, you had to get it. I mean, that shit might've been expensive at the beginning of the pandemic. It was hard to find that stuff. If we're talking about N95 masks and face shields and, um, dividers between the stations in the salon and, you know, she might, well, okay. So let, give a number, a better maybe. word. Securing. Ah, After I like that securing. even better. Securing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would probably eliminate the word personal there. I mean, I understand that in the news, everybody keeps hollering about PPE, but you could have just said after investing in protect or sorry, after securing protective equipment for the store's employees. I like that a lot better. You don't need Mm -hmm. personal protective equipment. Anyway, I love the arranging remote meetings. I mean, you know, like that makes her look smart. It makes her look um, proactive. Yes. Proactive. It, she's like making moves in a dynamic environment, right? Oh shit. Mm -hmm. Crisis. Am I going to sit back and just let everything happen to me? No, I'm going to secure this equipment and I'm going to start, you know, schedule these remote meetings weekly and check in with everybody and train them online. And 
we're going to stay in business. You know, I really like that. Yep. The meetings also enabled me to connect personally with the store managers and stylists. Instead of focusing solely on business strategy, I dedicated certain meetings to sharing humorous stories and others to exchanging positive affirmations. I like the sentiment. Actually, I think it shows that she's, it actually is a business strategy. You're like trying to make your employees feel good despite the challenges, but I I don't love the wordiness of the sentence. Right. Maybe cut instead of focusing solely on business strategy, I dedicated, you could just say these meetings gave me an opportunity to, you know, gave us, these meetings gave us an opportunity to share humorous stories and exchange positive affirmations. That's fine. You can make that sentence way shorter. And then it makes you sound like a good leader, but it's not, it's less overselling. Exactly. Yes. There is a lot of overselling going on in this thing. Yeah. Through my open dialogues, (laughs) cut overselling. (laughs) Yeah. The employees at each of the six salons became invested in supporting one another's business achievements. M dash. More stylists were sending their managers recommendations for employee awards, as well as referring customers to their colleagues. Uh, I don't like the first part of it because it's a conclusion. Um, I think you're packing too much into that one sentence, too. You could have had two separate sentences there. One about the recommendations for employee awards. You know, you could have just said. As a result of these meetings. It's almost like I actually wouldn't even say that because that becomes a conclusion. Just say it, just say we had these meetings and then like more stylists, you know, or I guess, or no, I know instead of as a result, you say after, after Uh, after, we started these meetings. So it's factual, right? So it's really hard to argue with it, but people would come to the conclusion. They're like, Oh, it must've been because the reader reaches the conclusion that it's because of your actions. You just say after, which is a fact. And then Mm -hmm. the reader goes, Oh wow. That's so cool. Like, that's it's 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 like it's awesome because it's good news. There's so much yeah. bad news in people's personal statements and now and now that becomes good news where it's like more stylists were sending their managers recommendations for employee awards. Yep. More stylists were referring customers to their colleagues. I mean, you wouldn't probably start both of those sentences with more stylists, but those are two good facts that happened after your action. And you just say, this is what happened. And then the reader goes, oh, because of you. Yeah. As opposed to you forcing it down. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. I then created the triple combo to motivate and encourage the stylists further. Triple combo is capitalized. Well, yeah, she created it. She's given a, she's given it a proper noun status. Um, we need a TM mark here. Yeah. Okay. What is this now? The triple combo makes it such, Oh, makes it such that. Ooh, come on now. Come on, Matt. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I'm like expecting, <laughs> like I've got Matt on the hook for all this. I, <laughs> the triple combo makes it such that any stylist who completes two services and sells a product receives a $5 bonus. 
In the months after I created the triple combo reward, the stylist's sales increased 5% and the number of returning customers increased at all six stores. I, what do you think about just leaving the triple combo out of it? I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. There's something like, okay, so this whole thing suffers from overselling, yes. right? But ironically, this like, illustrates this weird like almost uh car salesman y kind of vibe like oh we're getting we're getting the customers to buy more through this like incentive program and now all of a sudden i'm feeling like a little cringeworthy as opposed to just like the, oh there's it's the triple combo that makes it cringy say what happened you create you you created a program i don't think you need to name it the triple combo because nobody knows what that means you yeah. created a program where any stylist who completes two services and sells a product by the way that's to the same client receives a $5 bonus that's great that's a management thing that you did and then you say in the following months the stylist mm -hmm. sales increased 5% and the number of returning customers increased at all six, all six stores. I actually love that. Yeah. But yeah, the triple combo is super cringy. Get that out of there. All right. Next paragraph. With the store manager's assistance, I also took on the responsibility of running our company-wide human resources. You already said you're the manager. I already assumed that you're running the human resources. That's implied. Yeah, everything is under your domain. Cut that whole sentence. In particular, cut that. I worked alongside the ICW group. Cut that. I don't know who that is. Why are you drop name dropping shit? I don't. I don't. Who? <laughs> ICW, Nathan. I know what. I worked alongside the ICW group to get a stylist who fell while working at Supercuts the appropriate coverage for her injuries. Eh, you're going to have workers comp issues when you're managing these stores. What did you really do here? Nothing. Well, okay. Yeah. So if getting the coverage was challenging and there was some sort of hurdle and you stepped in and you, overcame that hurdle, then I'd like to hear those facts. But right now I'm just scratching my head. Kind of. No, this is like one of our stylists got hurt and we had to get coverage for her, but I, I don't see there's not a, we had previous Kayla taking action and doing cool things. That's not her doing cool things. That's somebody slipped and fell. I, I don't know. Seems very passive. Additionally, during the COVID-19 outbreak, one of our salon's stylists was exposed to the virus by her customer. We got too many different ideas going on here, right? Like cut the whole workers comp bit because how many different ideas can we have in one statement? Um, we understand that as a manager, you're wearing many hats. I just don't think that the whole work, it's too met too many different ideas. All right. So somebody got exposed. Then what happened after informing, after informing the exposed stylist, 
that she would be subject to a <laughs> mandatory quarantine. I imposed additional safety standards at all six stores. Okay, this is a small edit, but the word additionally should never be used, period. <laughs> yeah. You can always use and also, um, and and also are great, but you used it. You use a five-syllable word where you could have used a one-syllable <laughs> word. That's That's not good. Yeah. We are allowed to start sentences with the word and. Correct. Yeah. You could also say I also or something like that. I mean, yeah. Or also comma. Yeah. I mean, you have like, I don't love it, but it's 10 times better than additionally. Yeah. Additionally is pretty, pretty gross. Okay. The vague additional safety standards at all six stores. I got to tell you, I thought you're the one who secured the protective equipment in the first place. So now, you know, not sure about it. Not sure about including that bit. I sent detailed health questionnaires and thermometers to the managers at each supercuts location. You know, you could have just said, some, I don't, I don't think you need the, 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 uh, stylist got exposed. I would leave it out. You know, I, I would say something like we continued to, um, or as we, as we yeah, learned more, right. We, I took this action. Yes. We like, we can, I continued to take action as the pandemic deepened and not necessarily yep. say that sentence, but that's the the thing you're going for is that you continue to take action. When you talk about the yeah. stylist getting exposed, I, it's like, that might be your fault for not doing enough in the first place. Yeah. And so I mean, it's totally understandable. We're all learning about this as it goes, but don't talk about it. Yeah. You don't need to talk about the failures. You talk about what you did, like the successes and the yeah. wins, which you did a nice job yeah. of with the, there were a lot of nice moves the online train, you know, yeah. the getting the protective equipment, the online training, even the, uh, the promotional combo thing that you did, you know, without saying triple yeah. combo, I, I still like that sentiment, <laughs> uh, triple combo. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> makes me like want to go to Taco Bell or something. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I sent detailed health questionnaires. Does it really have to say detailed? Yeah. Uh, Overselling. It's over. It's just adjectives, right? Like get rid of the adjectives. You don't need them. You sent questionnaires and thermometers to the managers, you know, to further protect your, your workers and customers. Concurrently, <laughs> we already had additionally two sentences ago and now we get concurrently i held meetings to instruct the stylists on how when and where to evaluate and document a customer's health status in our online databases whoa okay how, when, More training. and where? I, I mean, I'm assuming they're doing it's it. It's overselling. At the just shop. say how. Just say yeah. Just and say when how. Drop the when and the when where. They come in. <laughs> it's probably not after. <laughs> it's probably before. It's probably at the front door when they arrive. 
Hey, buddy, are you coming into the, the supercuts? Because I got to check these people before they get here. I mean, it's probably not right in the middle of the shop, right next to everybody. You know? Yeah. I don't know. That's a little much. Well, it's, it's overselling again. It's like trying to make this event bigger than it is. Oh, I had to do all, I, we had meetings and we talked about all these different things and not only ev- evaluated them, we talked about how to document them in our online databases. Like just say, like, if you're just, if you just chill it out, like tone it down 10% and just say, Hey, I held meetings on how to evaluate our customers' Cut health status. As many adverbs and adjectives as you possibly can. That's a good start. You know, yeah. I can't argue with questionnaires. But the second you say detailed questionnaires, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Wow, this must be a super detailed questionnaire, you know. And is even that a good call? Like, how much information are you asking? How for many questions were out? really on the supercuts questionnaire? <laughs> supercuts. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not even shitting on supercuts. It's just like people go in there to get a haircut and kind of get out. It's not like this is not a uh, not a fucking NASA checklist. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a questionnaire. I get it. It's a thing you did. That's great. It just doesn't have to be a detailed questionnaire. Okay. Um, no additional COVID-19 exposures occurred following the implementation of these safety measures. You know, I suppose you could say something like, you know, we learned that we needed to take more action. And once I took this action, then there were no more exposures. I could see leaving that in there maybe, but you know, it's a fact. I'm not going to argue with it. So, well, you, if you do though, it's going to be a again. People have got to learn how to throw in bad facts that ultimately end up helping you. It's going to be not even an entire sentence. It's going to be after one of our stylists was exposed, comma. Like there was too much. Like oh, oh, this is what happened, and they, they then I told them, and blah, blah, blah. it's just like after one of them was exposed, we don't know how they were exposed. You got to learn to downplay those facts, but get them in there if you need them. Yep. Okay, two paragraphs to go. <clears throat> because COVID nineteen restricted indoor. By the way, business. sorry, I know we got to keep going, but I I hated that last sentence. It has additional, and it has the implementation of, basically I O N of phrases almost all of them should be dropped you could just use shorter words and fewer of them to say the same thing okay Uh, next paragraph because covid19 restricted indoor business which is like now you're again you're telling me shit that literally everyone knows cut all that i also devised a plan to create safe outdoor salons With the support of my parents and the port, do you know how to say that? When Weneme? Weneme? I have no clue. H U E N E M E. I'm going to say Weneme. Weneme. Weneme? Okay. Best I got. With the support of my parents and the port Weneme Supercuts manager, I made the outdoor salon into a reality. All right. Drop the parents. Cut the parents, cut the port when MA supercuts manager, you started making outdoor salons. Yep. We get it. You don't need two sentences to tell me that what you're going to tell me after mounting banners. 
setting up outdoor tents, regulating the number of customers serviced, (laughs) and advertising sanitation and face mask practices, Port Wanamé's outdoor salon increased its revenue by 30% throughout the summer of 2020. God, that's a long sentence. Matt. What? There's also something what? missing here. I don't understand why why she's bringing in this other other manager and their outdoor salon. Like, did they work together? It's like we're including facts that I don't care about, and I'm not understanding why it's at this other place. If just drop it. We don't need to know it's at this other place. Just say it happened. Yeah, there's going to be a weird time-shifting thing going on here, too. Before I had the opportunity to bring this safe outdoor salon experience to the other five Supercuts locations, the state of California lifted its its restrictions on normal indoor salon activities. Now you're trying to explain why you didn't expand this operation farther. You're protesting too much. You didn't expand it. Yeah. This was a this was a point in your favor. I was fully willing to give you credit for, oh, wow, you adapted this one place. You built an outdoor salon. You increased your revenue by 30%. Sweet. What else you got? Oh, I, I totally get it now. This is one of her six, obviously. Yeah. I For some reason, it felt like like somewhere outside of her no. six salons. No, it's one so of her I five. Don't, we don't need the detail. Just say one. At one of the places, yeah. I started going outdoors. Oh, okay, cool. Um, or I don't even know if I'd say that. Just say I started doing outdoor salons. We don't need to know that it was only one of them and that uh, but you, you didn't she, need to do it at the other. She could have definitely said at the port when MA branch, we were able to move outside and this resulted in a 30% uh, increase in revenue during the summer. Nice. Yep. But why are you now complaining that you couldn't do it at the other five supercuts because the state of California lifted its restrictions. What's that got to do with you? I, who cares? That's not, that's not a point in your favor. That's only a negative, right? I never even thought about why didn't you do that at the other five salons until you brought it up. Yeah. So just cut all that throughout the time that I managed the supercuts salons. I consist. Wait. So now that's past wait, tense. It's, it's over. It's over. It's been a year. Mm. I don't think I would emphasize the fact that this is over. I would definitely not emphasize the fact that this is over. I would much rather think of you as still the manager of all of these salons. Anyway, I consistently found and adapted to changing circumstances. You know what, Ben? Half the words that we've bitched about end in ly everyone needs to cut words that end in ly oh you consistently found and adapted to changing circumstances it's a conclusion for one the ly adverb there is painful I addressed financial deficits, improved work culture, boosted sales, and explored alternative business models in light of COVID-19 regulations. It's a conclusion. You could have cut all these conclusions and just given me more details about you actually doing these things. Addressed financial deficits? What does that mean? Did you guys actually have like a cash flow problem? If you did, how did you overcome the cash flow problem? Improved work culture? 
Well, we already saw that. You, yeah, you gave me a specific example of that. You don't get extra points for doubling down on it as a conclusion. Boosted sales, you already gave me data on. Explored alternative business models, you moved outside. Okay, so I see what she's trying to do here is like sum up all of the things, but you don't, there's no summing up. You don't need to sum it up. No, again, it oversells. So then all of a sudden, all these facts where I was like coming to the conclusion that you did all these things and you're impressive now makes me look at your conclusion and say, did you actually meet it? And like I explored alternative business models. You did one. You went outside. (laughs) Right. It's overselling. I I totally, I agree. Way. That's yeah. Just cut your conclusions. You don't need them. Yep. Yep. Moreover, my appreciation for the intersection between business and the law grew as a result of my experiences. Oh, here we go again. Negotiating leases, collaborating with staff members, following government safety regulations, and solving problems in human resources. You don't need to tell me again all of the shit that you already told me. This is a total waste of space. I also don't like the word appreciation. I I think people should just say... I'm interested or from these experiences, I realized that I'm interested in pursuing, you know, something about law and look forward to doing so. I don't know. Let's just keep it short. The second you said you managed multiple franchises, I have no doubt that you have done shit that is lawyer adjacent. You don't need to tell, you, you just don't, Like you can give me the details of things you did, but you don't need to oversell with now you have an appreciation for the intersection between business and the law. Like, yeah, I, I, (laughs) one, you don't really, because you haven't been to law school. You're not a lawyer. So, you know, you don't even know half of what you think, you know, so don't bother telling me that. But two business and law are like this and you're in business. So you don't need to like, explain to me how it's connected to law, right? The reader of this essay knows much more about the connection between business and law than you do. Um, as such, <laughs> boy, she loves to start sentences with a, like a connecting word. She thinks she needs these words to, to like connect the flow or something, but you don't, the ideas are, adjacent. You don't, as such, I have a heightened, Ooh, inspiration to pursue law school. M dash along with similar business and legal interactions. The fuck does that that even make sense? M dash at a higher level. Oh, well, they're getting that last phrase from us, but, uh, I want to point out something about this sentence. Not only does it not make sense, and uses the word inspiration, which is essentially the same as passion. Right. The phrase as such, you know, I did legal writing consulting for five years, right? Well, that's a phrase that attorneys use a lot because they say therefore and thus a lot, right? But bad news, not the best attorneys use that phrase because that is incorrect. You can't use as such to mean therefore, and that's what she means here. So just for everyone out there, if you're going to end up as a lawyer, don't use as such in place of 
therefore, or thus. It does not mean that. This whole last paragraph needs to go. I mean, that's really just straight conclusions. There's no new facts there. It's all just conclusions. You could have said one sentence, one short sentence. If you if you want to wrap it up with one for, one short sentence, just like, you know, I look forward to something in law school. That's fine. But this, this like lofty bloviating overselling, you know, appreciation and inspiration for the interactions of business and law, blah, 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 blah. Like you're not saying anything. So you should just say a lot less. Yep. Lots of good stuff here, Kayla. I'm sure you can add more facts where you're actually taking actions and then you just got to let the reader reach all their own conclusions. You're, you're like overselling it by 900% here. Yep. Still one of the better personal statements we've read on the show, I would say. Oh, and the, the potential content is, I couldn't ask for anything better. It's, it's got the content. See, but the thing is like, the second she said, I mean, and it could have been in the first sentence, I managed eight supercuts franchises during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, mic drop. End of personal statement. Yep. I mean, you know, what do you think, Ben? Should, I think she should cut my family from it. Oh yeah. That under, that undercuts it, right? Yeah, it makes it, it, makes look it like, seem like oh, she got this job because of her family connections. We don't need to know that. You're you manage these eight supercuts. End of story. Yeah, it's fine that you did. We j- or it's fine that you did get that gig because of your family, or it's fine that it's connected to your family. But your family doesn't need to be mentioned in this statement. You're the manager of eight supercuts. Well, now six supercuts franchises. <laughs> leave leave them out of it. And somehow, please. Don't let them know you're not doing it anymore. I, it's, right. to, to me, it's strange. It's like you did this job for 10 months. You were killing it. Why, why are you not doing it anymore? I totally agree. Yep. Yep. Okay. I, what do you think? We probably proposed cutting about half of this. Yep. You're going to have to add a lot more facts. So she's going to need another anecdote or three. Or more details for some of these facts. I don't, people just, details are just so, they stick in people's minds. I want more. Totally. Yeah. There's lots of places where you could have given me more specifics. Um, all right. I think we got to wrap it up there, huh? Yep. All right. We're on Facebook, sure. uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We're at thinking LSAT and at LSAT demon just about everywhere. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. If you like the show, it's really the only way people find us uh, word of mouth. So um, please jot down a few notes on iTunes. If you haven't already, we really appreciate that. Uh, help at thinking LSAT is the email address. If you would like to propose um, a pearls versus turds for the show or an excuse of the week for the show, or if you would like to suggest uh, a highlight from one of our episodes, Episode 300 is going to be a best of episode. So we're still taking submissions. Uh, if you thought a 
there was a particularly useful or funny moment on the show. Uh, if you just have questions that you want to ask us, uh, or submit your personal statement, that's all help at thinking We really appreciate those emails. Um, help at lsatdemon.com. If you want to know anything about the LSAT demon, just go to lsatdemon.com and start a free trial. By the way, there's a shit ton of very helpful stuff there at LSAT demon. It's not even a free trial anymore. It lasts forever and there's lots of great stuff there. So, uh, please jump on board at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 285 of the thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you don't pay for law school. Thank <laughs> you.